The following podcast on the Your Own Pay Podcast Network will contain adult content. Listener discretion is advised. More information about this episode can be found at yourownpay.com. Yeah, I heard that little chime, so I assume that means it's recording now. It is recording now. Uh, are we recording or are we streaming? Uh, we're recording. We're not streaming. Oh, okay. So where's that recording going to go? To your drive, you think? Yeah, that's what it says. Huh. Okay. So you poked around the admin settings. Yep. I did. Okay. I'm recording on my end. Since we'll have this recording, it'll be super easy to match them up to make things sound semi-good. Possibly. <laughs> yeah, 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 good point. Slight little drift here, slight little drift there. All of a sudden, you're like a minute off, and you're like, where the hell did I mess up at? <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time that happened to me, and I didn't know anything about drift, because I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, Sorry to interrupt, but it's time. Damasi and Michael, just talking tech. And I was like, what the fuck did I do? Right. Uh, and it kept happening. Like I would, I would scratch, you know, delete all the editing of the recording I had done and then just start yeah. over with the files again. And it would happen. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And then you have Ripple, which plays a whole nother complexity. If you, if you don't check your Ripple state or you forget what your Ripple state was, that's a whole level. Uh, although with Ripple, at least you can use Control Z or Command Z to undo what you did to redo what you need to do. Yeah. Uh, so this actually happened to me back in the days when I was using uh, I was using Amadeus Pro. Wait, is that what it's called? Amadeus. Yes. Yeah. Are you recording? Uh, uh, yes, I am. Okay. Uh, yes, I am. This is going to be like the pre-show. This is what was yeah. <laughs> Which, if you've listened to any of the episodes, I tend to just clip some of it in, and then we get into the episode, and it's it's always a surprise to. The opposite one of us, what what sticks in the show and what doesn't. Oh, no. A lot of times you, you leave in what I would have left in. There's been a few times where you chopped it out or chopped out something that I would have left in. But, yeah, I was using Amadeus Pro uh, back at that time. And mm-hmm. I had recorded audio using uh, Audio Hijack, I think, on my side. I did not have the other person's audio. So they sent me their audio, and I did not understand what the hell was going on with this drift. So what's going on with... The Samsung mic, uh, and and I guess maybe you had some general thoughts on microphones, just as microphones. So those who might remember, a couple of episodes ago, my recording setup is a Samsung Q2U microphone, which, side note, it is not Samsung. So if you have a problem with Samsung, you may not have a problem with this company. They are different companies. I had that conversation with someone. So the Samsung QTU microphone, even though they sound very familiar uh, or very similar, is plugged into a USB, typically is plugged into a USB-C dock, which then feeds my audio into the computer and you can hear me and Reaper can hear me and it's, it's, it's all good when it's all working right, right? Well, I did that job interview that I texted you about on a, what looked like a customized version of Hangouts. Very interesting. It was very accessible and kind of convenient. But she did the funny thing of, I can see you talking, but I can't hear you. So I'm like, oh no, there's a problem. So I quickly shift or I unplugged the audio and I just used the onboard audio for the computer. It, it natively switched back over to that audio, which was fine. It was a job interview, wasn't recording anything. And I'm sure she's heard worse audio than, than that. I mean, I imagine. So then I recorded my Kelly Co. segment on Monday, which we'll talk about uh, in a little bit on how that went. And I was listening back to it today because I finally made it back to my podcast uh, content. I finally got back to Monday. And I'm like, man, that sounds that sounds weird. Like, it doesn't sound like my audio. And funny thing is, is I start, I start making jokes about how it was the best sounding audio that I ever had because I was recording in the closet and this and that. And I'm listening to it. I'm like... It really doesn't sound that good. Apparently, there's either something going on with the USB-C dock, something going on with the USB cable, or something going on with the microphone itself. I 
I cannot narrow the issue down because earlier when I told you we're going to record with this other headset microphone that's a gaming microphone, uh, I had unplugged the dock and plugged the microphone directly into the computer. It still didn't work. It, w- it just wouldn't show up. So when you reboot it, I'm like, I'm going to try it one more time. Just see what happens. And Windows goes, we are setting up your Samsung Q2U microphone. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And now it's it's kind of working. So... I'm not sure what the issue is, and I will say the MacBook Pro 2017 microphones, though it's not the Q2U, sound pretty good, actually. A couple of things I got questions about on that. Uh, first of all, the wait, why would a person have a problem with Samsung in general? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 that's... Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure I get that one right there. Uh, but you said this is not Samsung, the phone slash refrigerator slash right. company. This is a different Samsung that has the same sounding name. I'm assuming it's spelled differently. It is spelled differently, yeah. And I didn't know that until I was listening to a review of this microphone. Now, I could be incorrect, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that is accurate. So is this the UNG or the ONG? Uh... I don't know. <laughs> At first, I thought you were asking about the model number, and I'm like, it's it's none of those. It's Q2U. And then I'm like, oh, he's asking about the spelling of Samsung. <laughs> huh, so that, that I have seen, I've, I've seen it spelled two different ways, one with the U-N-G and I think O-N-G. Uh, mm-hmm. And now I'm curious because that opens up the question is what I have been assuming all the time, which is they're all the same company, and the same company makes the Galaxy S line of phones and tablets uh, and computers, are they all the same company that also makes washers and refrigerators and televisions, or is it a different company? Yeah, so that's a rabbit hole that we'll have to do some research on. because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Uh which still takes me back to the question, who, why would you have a problem with Samsung? What <laughs> right, the hell do they do right. to you? Oh, so I can people. see I have an issue with Google, you know, who yeah. makes Android. Okay. Or I can see you saying I have an issue with Apple or what Samsung? What the hell is Samsung doing to anybody? I know out of out of all of them, in, in my opinion, they're the most calm ones. Like I, I... So the Q, U, Q2U. Q2U. Okay, the Q2U. What is actually going on? Like, what I hear right now, if that's the microphone you're using, what I hear is just that you don't sound as, you don't sound as clear. It sounds like you're on a, it sounds like it's, but it could totally, what I'm hearing could totally be Hangouts doing it to you and not, uh, or Google Meet, I'm sorry, uh, doing it to you and not the actual microphone. So I guess I'll have to check that out once I get your audio file or hear your audio file. So you think there's a problem possibly either with the hub or with the mic or with the cable? Yep, because there's those three points we've got to check. And I can't think of anything else in our house that use what kind of USB cables is, do you know? And by the way, side note, Samsung who makes the or Samsung who makes the or the microphone is spelled S A M S O N. So that's how ah. they spell their brand name. So there's okay. no G or anything on the end. And that's what makes the difference. Gotcha. Samsung versus Samsung. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, huh. Got it. And it's, they still sound the same, right? If you're not explicitly trying to enunciate it very well, they still come out exactly. the same. Uh, yeah. I've, I've actually thought that Samsung made that. Samsung made that mic the entire time. Uh, so now I got to <laughs> Yeah, start I did too until like, someone mentioned it and I'm like, oh, 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 it's not the same. <laughs> uh, so who makes the TV that I'm thinking about buying? The one with the G, ah, I so think. It, so it is the phone company that makes right. the TV. So right. Where, where the hell did this, uh, anyway. China. Oh. <laughs> uh, could be, could be. Uh so was oh you asked me what kind of cable is it so if it uses the same sort of cable as my microphone it is a it does it is a mini usb to regular usb yeah 
So I don't know of any other devices in our house that uses mini USB. I know of micro USB or USB-C, but I can't think of anything that uses mini USB uh, to try just swapping out the cable. And this is an Amazon Basics cable that I bought, uh, I don't know, almost a year ago. So maybe it is about time for this cable to bite the dust, and I just need to go pick up a new one. Um, But I might have Mallory pick up a new cable and see if it shows up. So... When the dock is plugged, or I would try getting a mini USB to USB C. Ooh, that's a good idea. So when the dock is plugged in, the microphone just doesn't show up. When I take the dock out of the scenario, sometimes the mic shows up, sometimes it doesn't. And every once in a while, I can have the dock plugged in, plug the microphone in, and it'll show up and work. Every once in a while. And I just noticed this earlier this week. So that's my microphone woes this week. <laughs> I'm thinking that would mean is probably the cable. Uh, Me too. Especially. So I experienced something similar with my old microphone, which was the AT, the Audio-Technica ATR2100 uh, mm-hmm. before I bought the AT2005, uh, which was actually the impetus for me to purchase it. 2005 because the ATR 2100 stopped working. And at that time, the AT 2005, I could get it cheaper than I could get a 2100 replacement. Uh, side note, the Audio Technica warranty on microphones is actually fairly decent. It cost me 15 bucks to send that microphone in and get it repaired and sent back, uh, which is not bad considering, uh, that is, I believe it is a lifetime warranty. Uh, but what happened with me is, and it wasn't my cable, uh, I first assumed it was the cable, and then I thought it was Mac OS bandwidth, and I figured out it was actually the microphone. But what l- let me know that there was an actual problem outside of it sounding horrible was when I would plug it into the Mac, it stopped showing up as ATR2100 and start showing up as some generic USB device. Mm. Uh if you're not seeing anything like that, then my assumption is that it could be the cable, or at least that's what I would start with. Uh, yeah, see. that's what I'm going to start with. <laughs> One, because it's the cheapest thing to replace. Uh, two, getting a mini USB to USB-C would at least give you the ability to plug it directly into the computer and bypass the dock altogether. Uh, and all of your computers, as far as I know now, do have USB-C, so that doesn't create any issue. Uh, also lets you plug it into your phone if you decide you want to do that for some reason. Yeah, without using an adapter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's that. My other question was going to be between in between the time that we last recorded and when you started to notice issues, has there been any Windows updates that you have applied? I can't answer that question because I don't know for sure. It is very possible that there is because there's been some security updates for Windows 10 that have dropped since we recorded, which for those who don't know, we record on Thursdays. Might as well just put that in the calendar every Thursday or every other Thursday to record. So in the last two weeks, we have not, like I haven't consciously noticed a Windows update, but that doesn't mean that one didn't happen. Ah, yeah, because Windows 10 now wants to just update behind your back anyway and not tell you. But that's that's clever thinking because it could be an update that's impacted the the, the audio drivers for the yeah. microphone. Yeah, yep. that, that could totally be a problem because uh, about a month or so ago, there was a Windows 10 update that you really kind of needed to apply because it had some security fixes, but it broke printing. Uh, <laughs> it completely broke printing for a large number of people. Uh, so you, yeah. couldn't, you couldn't print. You know, you couldn't print over a USB printer because it, it was screwing with the drivers in some way. Even virtual printers, right. which typically are used to, like, print the PDF or something like that, uh, were broken. Uh wasn't broken for everybody, but it was broken. For for enough people to make an impact. So, Demasi, I got some uh, follow-up questions for you from last episode or the episode before. Does the Google Health app sync with Apple Health? It does. So uh, this is a follow-up topic because we were discussing Google Fit. Um, and I had the question where I was curious to know whether or not Google Fit would sync with Google Health, which thereby would allow you to have your health data kept in sync across 
two diff- different platforms, uh, iOS and Android. Uh, I think we were getting to the discussion about the watch and the phone. And yeah, that's what it was. So these, this question came from, uh, Michael's honest desire, I think, to have an Apple Watch and keep the iPhone 7 running so it can keep the Apple Watch running, but still uses Android phone. And the question was, can, does the health stuff sync? And it does. So you install Google Fit on iOS. The only, well, I'm not going to say the only caveat. It's not really a caveat. The only thing you have to make sure is that you're signed into the same Google account and fit on both devices. Uh, but when you install Google Fit on iOS, it gives you an opportunity at first launch to have Google Fit be able to pull data and add data, update data to your uh, iOS health application. I would say that you probably can also do this after the fact if you choose to skip this initially. Uh, but I went ahead and did it as I was setting it up. So I gave Google Fit all of the health permissions that it asked for. Uh, hit continue. I went through a few other prompts about setting goals. So what do you want your daily step goal to be in your heart health uh, minutes to be? Uh, they give you a couple of preset options. Again, you can update these later or make changes to them later. Uh, and once I got past all that, I could absolutely verify that it does work simply because it showed me my steps for that day up to that particular time and showed me the exercise minutes I had in and all of that stuff. So it does work. And of course, you go to your Android phone and open up Google Fit and you will see that same data. Uh, and because you give Google Fit the ability to write data into health as well as read data from health on iOS, if you were, say, exercising or anything with your Android phone in your pocket and you go back later on and pick up your iOS device, you should see that data reflected in the health app uh, on iOS as well. So looks like it works, which is cool. Uh, I think it I think it serves two purposes. Uh, one, if you're using multiple devices, uh, you're able to keep all that data kind of in sync. Uh, but also, I guess it would also act as somewhat of a backup of your data if it's going over to Google. I have not tested this yet, but I would assume that a backup, an encrypted backup of your Google, uh, of your Pixel or Android device uh, would also include your health data. Perfect. And for those who don't know with Android, you if you're looking on your phone, and this is with stock Android, I need to make that clear with the Pixel, and you're like, I don't see this Fit thing they keep talking about. You do need to install Google Fit from the Play Store before it'll be available on your device. Once you install it, you can go through the setup process, uh, connect it to a Google account, allow it permissions. Uh, Android 11 has some interesting permissions that I need to play with. For example, location. You can have have access to your location while you're inside the Fit app, and then you have to go into settings if you want it to always have your location. Uh, But who opens the Fit app when they're doing a workout and wants to keep track of that? But it does count your steps. It does count your or uh, the amount of time the device moves and and whatnot. So it is. It's a very nice application. You do have to install it though if you don't have it installed. That is cool. Uh, I do like that. It sounds like they're doing that thing in Android 11, which is going to take us into our next topic or a next topic, uh, which is they're giving you can give location access, but in order for it to be persistent. Uh, always access to your location. You got to go into settings. Yep. And specifically say, I want this app to have my location all the time versus opening a new app or setting up a new app and just tapping through. Oh, yep. Permissions. I will give all those location. Yeah, you can track my location all the time. Whereas with Android 11, if you want it to track your location all the time, you have to specifically go into the settings app and allow that permission versus when you're prompted, it'll just say allow location when in this app. So... Uh, iOS is doing that. And I think they started this in iOS 13. Uh, and, and yeah, they did. And it's a little weird. It's a little annoying at times too, because you give an app mm-hmm. your permission and then you don't immediately go off to go do this thing. Uh, basically the issue with iOS, uh, is, uh, let's take a weather app, for example, because I recently switched over to using dark sky from care weather, which may have been a catastrophic mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that later. So, 
I give Dark Sky the ability to access my location. And what they have done, and it sounds like Google is doing the same thing in Android 11, uh, is you have basically a couple of options. You have no, uh, you have only while using app, and you have once uh, on iOS. So they don't give you in that pop-up where you're where it's asking for the permission, the ability to say always. Uh, what sometimes will happen, what has happened with previous apps on iOS 13, is that at some point later on, you would get a pop-up notification that says, I'm going to still use Dark Sky as an example, although this did not happen with Dark Sky. Uh, you would get a pop-up and it would say, Dark Sky has been using your location in the background, which you'd like to continue to allow this app to use your, your location. Uh-huh. And then you get the same options. Now, what ha- did not happen with Dark Sky, but did happen with, uh, let's say, Carrot Weather, for example, because it did actually happen with Carrot Weather. Is But Carrot, at some point, it popped up and said, Carrot has been using your location, blah, blah, blah. And one of the options was to always give it access. Uh, I did not get that with Dark Sky, which leads me to think that maybe Apple made some changes to that permission dialogue later on in iOS 13. Uh, because now, as you mentioned with Android 11, you have to go into settings and location and all of that and say, always give this app access to my location, which is slightly annoying. Uh, I think I can understand why, why both OS vendors have chosen to do it this way in a sense, uh, especially during the first permission request is so that people don't randomly without thinking about it just hit always and then now some app that you didn't know or aren't aware of is constantly tracking your location in the background and that's not what you want uh i did like the original functionality of ios 13 where when it popped up and said hey this app has been using your location would you like to continue to give it location access that it gave me an option in that pop-up dialogue to say yes always give it permission and just leave me the hell alone uh or just once or only when i'm using the app uh or stop giving it location access or whatever uh i like that because it meant i didn't have to go dig through settings and the reason is I don't think very many people are going to know that those are the steps they need to take to stop having their weather app or calendar app or whatever application constantly, you know, at least once a week popping up and saying, hey, this app has been using your location in the background. <laughs> uh, it, it, it seems like it would eventually drive people a little nuts if they didn't know what the resolution to that issue was. But that is interesting that Android is tightening further, tightening up those permissions. Uh and I'm curious to hear, just on a side note, from anyone who is using a Samsung device, I do know that Samsung has their own health application. I wonder if Google Fit still also functions well there or not. And I don't think Samsung has a health app available for iOS. So uh, just curious how that works. But Mike, I want to ask you about the Android 11 beta and your adventures in uh, <laughs> the beta because for those who don't know Mike has as, as a matter of fact I think as recently as our last published recording which was Tuesday of last week uh, or was it Tuesday of this week I don't know it was last week Ah, Tuesday of last week uh, that Mike was not on the beta anymore uh, but Mike's now <laughs> back on the beta again and apparently Mike has bounced to the beta went back to regular Android release Back to the beta, back to the Android release, back to the beta. Back to the beta. Uh, <laughs> so how's that going? First, tell 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 everybody listening that is probably curious what the hell is going on with Mike. Uh, why have you uh, went to beta and back as many times as you have? Uh, and then I want to hear kind of what the experience of doing that is like, because uh, it's a little bit more difficult on iOS, I believe. So, yeah, we will talk about the beta and back to stable. Um, I use one device all the time, which means I installed beta on my primary driver, which typically isn't, well, let me rephrase that, which typically for me isn't an issue, uh, because with most of the beta problems, I can get around them and I can go and get what I need to do done. And I love checking out new things. So when the Android 11 beta dropped, I'm like, okay, I'm going to install this on my device, play with it, see how things go. 
Well, at that point, there were talkback gesture inconsistencies. Uh, so I couldn't get the double tap gesture to work. And this is a, a beta thing. I, I have full confidence that Google will resolve this prior to the actual release of the software. And you'll understand why I say that here in a minute. But it was it was doable, but very inconsistent, which did slow down my productivity. And I'll be honest, the main straw that broke the camel's back was Mallory had tried calling me and I couldn't answer my phone. And I'm like, well, this isn't going to work. I need to fix it because, well, that turned into a uh, very heated discussion about why I wasn't answering my phone when she was trying to get a hold of me. Um, and so I had to explain to her that it was beta and, and you know, we, we got through it. it so that night, I, <laughs> Exactly. Oh, sorry. That probably would have been what I would have got. Never. <laughs> <laughs> That night, I downgraded, and the process of upgrading and downgrading is is pretty seamless, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Remind me, because I'll get distracted. Well, then, Android version 11 beta 1.5, or however you want to word it, a new version of Android beta came out. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. I should upgrade and see how things work. So I went ahead and I upgraded the software uh, back to Android beta 11, and I tried it out, and I was still having some of the inconsistencies. I was able to answer calls all the time, but sometimes when I double-tapped on an app like Messages or Play Store, or something, it would not, it, it, it just wouldn't take that double tap. The other big problem that I had was uh, with my banking app. If I tried to double tap on an account in our banking app, it, it would not register that at all. So I'd have to use the volume up, down shortcut and hold that for three seconds, turn talk back off, tap where I knew the account was, turn ta- talk back back on, say that three times fast, and then view my uh, trans transactions like I wanted to. Uh, So that became frustrating. So I went ahead and downgraded and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to stay on Android 10. Everything works right and things are good. Well, as I explained to my Kelly Co. segment, uh, I, I was thinking to myself on Sunday, the day before, and I said, Self, you really should upgrade and determine whether or not any of those accessibility issues have been resolved and let the Kelly Co. audience know because people are going to be interested in doing the same thing that, that you did and upgrading to the beta. So I upgraded and realized that I'm still having Again, though not as consistently, some of the same issues that I've had from the beginning with double tapping on icons or performing other gestures. Now, I found ways to get around it, and right this minute, as of recording, the Thursday prior to the podcast uploading, I am running beta. There are chances that that could potentially change, but not specifically because of consistency issues, because I found issues or I found ways around that. But because I want to play with something new in the Google G Suite admin device management and see if it works. So that's my adventures and why I've upgraded and downgraded and upgraded and downgraded and finally upgraded. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, make that a future topic about the G Suite um, device management because I'm going to also play around with that a little bit uh, on Android, managing an Android device, which I believe is going to be fairly straightforward and also managing an iOS device which I think may not be as straightforward (laughs) right we shall find out and follow up because I do think it's interesting Uh, and it also ties into the fact that uh, Google Cloud shit Google Identity Manager Um, um, we will put the correct name as well as a link to some documentation on this functionality that Google is offering Uh, because Google one changes names and stuff and two they also are terrible at naming things which means I should probably go work at Google uh, because I'm terrible at naming things Uh, but Google Cloud Identity Manager is what I believe it is called basically has is Google spun off the functionality that a lot of us are used to where you go to a new site to create an account and you have the options to log in with Facebook, log in with Google. And that is the functionality that Google has spun off. The log in with Google uh, feature uh, can be completely as a G Suite customer. This doesn't really apply to free Google users, uh, but as a G Suite customer, always in the past, you could only use your Google account that was tied to a G Suite license. Uh, where now you can set up, uh, 
Google identity management for your own domain uh, without having a G Suite license. Uh, there's a free version of this as well as a premium version of this. Uh, and again, as a part of our follow up on the functionality of device management through Google and G Suite, I believe that there is the ability to do some basic device management with Google Identity Manager on its free plan. I am absolutely certain it is there for the paid version of that uh, plan, but we'll follow up on that and let you know. Mike, how easy is it to upgrade well, rather really more downgrade back <laughs> to the release version of Android because upgrading to a beta is usually fairly straightforward. Uh, yeah. Unless you're talking about so, Mac OS Big Sur, which is a different, <laughs> different deal. Which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I will put a link to it in the show notes at, by the way, we have not mentioned it and we're 40 minutes into the episode or however long we are into the episode. And uh, so I will put a link to it at your own pay.com slash DM51. Um, and you go to this link, you choose your device, and you choose to enroll it into the beta program. Of course, you have to be signed into your Google account to see your devices, and then you hit OK, and then you will get a software update uh, notification. If you want to push that through a little faster, you go, to si- you go to settings, system, advanced, software update, and then it'll tell you there's no software update. You tap on the check for updates, and typically right away it'll see that update. Uh, you download that, and it, it, it's an over-the-air update, which is pretty seamless and straightforward, and then your device will reboot, and you're on Android 11. Pretty simple process. Going down from Android 11 to Android 10 is also a fairly simple process, but there's one caveat you need to be aware of. So you go back to this link that, again, is at yourownpay.com forward slash DM51. You find your device. You tap on it. You tap unenroll. You hit OK. There's a survey you can fill out, which I do fill it out. Uh, They've gotten a couple of results from me on that survey every time I've downgraded. And then you'll get a notification, your notification system tray, whatever you want to call that. And uh, you tap on that. It'll say this is a over-the-air update to downgrade your device to Android version 10, I think it says. It, it might say the stable version of Android, which is interesting to see an upgrade to downgrade. Uh, but when you tap on that and you go through the process, it does warn you. It says this upgrade will uh, erase your device and restore it to factory settings. So you will lose all content on your device. And in DM50, I mentioned SMS backup and restore. That has been a savior for me when it comes to getting my messages and call logs back. Uh, And so that's, and then all the other apps I can just go reinstall, which hopefully will be able to to streamline that process because every once in a while I'll be like, oh man, I don't have the Wise app or I don't have this app. And I'm in the middle, PayPal. That's the other one that happened to me the other day. I didn't have have PayPal's <laughs> couldn't pay someone any money while I was standing in his driveway. Uh, and so that that is a pretty simple process. Just know that when you downgrade your device, which is an OTA over the air update, you will lose all the data on your device. And it's 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 a fresh start to your experience with Android. So I've gone through the talk back tutorial a few different times and then I figured out that I can just hit back to close the tutorial so I don't have to go through it. And then I've set up a device multiple i think three or four times in the last three weeks (laughs) so one question i have and i my thought on this may be correct it may not be uh what about restoring from a backup once you've downgraded so if you backups be uh beta so that means they wouldn't work right and i don't typically use a backup um Maybe that's that's my bad, but my understanding is if you try to restore from a backup created in Android 11, it will not work in Android 10. If you try to restore from a backup, because sometimes, sometimes it is advantageous to restore your phone to factory settings after you've upgraded to Android 11 to see if some of those quirks have been taken out um, because it is it is an update. So, I mean, that, that could solve some of the issues. Uh, so my understanding is you can restore an Android 10 backup to an Android 11 device. Ah, but you haven't tried restoring an Android 10 backup to 
an Android. I haven't 10 tried restoring an Android 11 to an Android 10 device. No, I don't think that will work. Um, yeah, but I, I, I'm assuming that your backup. I've never actually looked, which means I probably should look. Uh, I would assume that Google is keeping multiple backups. So let's say you're on Android 10, uh, as my device is now. I go up to the beta, and probably on on the beta for maybe a week or two. And there's a few backups that are done on the beta, but I I think I should still have backups available that are Android 10. So if I go back down to uh, 10 and then now I'm starting over fresh. Can I not restore one of my older Android 10 backups? I don't have an answer for you and we'll have to play with that and follow up on it. So we'll add that to our follow up category because I, yeah, every time I've just set it up as a new device. <laughs> and I'm thinking like the, the big thing there would just be, I just want the apps back. Like I don't want to go through and set up all the apps all over again is the more pain. That's the more painful thing about it restoring is. A device yeah. is like, oh, I got to install the apps that I was using and set them, configure them again. So we'll have an answer of a way to possibly do that in 52, whether that be using G Suite or using the backup methodology, because I will play with that. Maybe, maybe I'll go back down to Android 10 and see if it works. We'll see. <laughs> uh, so, Demasi, iOS... Public beta is available for people. Do you have any comments on that? Not really. Uh, other than the fact that they're <laughs> they're now available. Uh, at last glance, which was yesterday, I have not looked today. Uh, macOS Big Sur uh, beta public beta was not available, and WatchOS public beta was not available. Uh, so right now it's just iOS and iPadOS public betas that are out. Uh, I would assume the watch is coming at some point because they did announce that for the first time this year, watchOS 7 will have public beta. Mm -hmm. uh, as the watchOS beta stands right now, if there was a public beta release sometime in the next week, I would tell people to avoid it. Uh, it's not 100% horrible, but there are a few glitches that will really put you in a screwed up situation. Uh, one that I experienced is all of a sudden, all of my touches while voiceover was on. Uh, voiceover was on and speaking the watch was interpreting all of my gestures as though voiceover was not active so a oh, no. one finger flick on my watch face that should take me to the next screen element was actually swiping me over uh to the next, to the watch, next face. watch face yeah so and I was unable to, and I assumed that the quick fix for this would be to reboot the device, right? So I tried to get to that interface, but unfortunately, again, you know, it's only interpreting gestures as uh, though voiceover is not active, even though voiceover is active. I was finally able to, uh, once Tia got back home, to have her turn off, well, I turned off voiceover and have her look at the uh, shutdown screen and actually tap shut down. I didn't want to risk attempting to toggle off voiceover and put my finger where I thought the button may have been to actually hmm. tell it to shut down because also on that screen is emergency uh, call. Right. Uh, didn't want to accidentally call 911. I did that the first time I got my watch. Uh, so didn't want to go through that process, especially with voiceover not functioning, which means I can't hang up the phone. Uh, and, and I don't know if they can hang up on you. I don't think they can. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, decided not to do that and just had a non-functioning watch. Uh, rebooting did solve the problem. I have not seen it reoccur, uh, which that also reminds me that I do need to, while voiceover is properly functioning, explore that shutdown screen. So I do know what area of the screen the actual shutdown button is, uh, just in case. Uh, but yeah, I would say as it stands right now, kind of avoid the watch OS. There's a few other weird things uh, for voiceover users who are uh, also watch users. Uh, the taptic, taptic time does not currently work, or at least not for me, although I've spoken to someone else who is using, I think, a Series 4 or Series 5 watch, uh, and it also is not working for them, uh, which is distressing to say the least because i'm used to being able to just double tap the face of the watch and have it mm. tap back to time to me which is nice that was my favorite feature of the watch <laughs> uh, i gotta admit man it's one of my favorite features it, it is it is extremely distressing not to have it work uh yeah and a yeah. couple of other minor issues such as tapping the watch face to wake the screen voiceover does not automatically speak uh 
which is a change. I'm not going to say it's a good thing or a bad thing. I It's just disconcerting when you tap the face and you're like, well, did it wake up or did it not wake up? I right. don't know. You got to touch the screen to actually get some sort of feedback. Mac OS Big Surf for anybody with either a developer account uh, at Apple or who, you know, through whatever means, we're not questioning, we're not asking. I do actually have a developer account. Uh but for anybody who doesn't, who also manages to find a way to gain access to betas, again, not questioning, now no judgment, <laughs> uh, stay away from Big Sur unless you absolutely are aware of all of the potential issues. Uh, since APF, APFS, yes, that's correct, uh, was introduced and in, I think it was Sierra, uh, for people, uh, you, you were always able to APFS just create a volume, a APFS volume, and you could install a different OS into that volume. No problems. Uh, and that's how I have tested betas for the past couple of summers of Mac OS. Uh, you know, very briefly is to install it into a mm-hmm. separate volume because you don't, you no longer have to as you did back in the HPFS days. Uh, I think that's right. Whatever the old Mac OS file system used to be. <laughs> uh, you would have to partition your disk if you were trying to use your internal dr- or any drive at all. You would have to partition it, which means you had to have thought about this before installing Mac OS that, oh, yeah, I should create a partition just in case I want to run an alternative version of Mac OS or run Windows or Linux or anything. Or you would be in a situation where you needed to back up your Mac wipe the drive, partition it, reinstall your version that you were using and then have a partition to reinstall, to install a beta on. Uh, APFS did solve that problem until Big Sur. Do not, and I do mean this, like I, this time I am passing judgment. If you hear me and you have not done this, you were thinking about doing it as I was, want to just create an APFS volume and install Big Sur, don't do it. Uh, it is going to severely screw up your uh, Catalina installation or your Mojave installation, as it may be. Uh, and it's because they made changes to APFS. Uh, so currently, uh, I do think that there is a Catalina update that may or may not. I haven't looked at it yet. Uh, but currently, as it stands today, as far as I know, unless something has changed in the past 24 hours, Big Sur has made some changes to APFS volumes in the way that they're handled, which means there's an underlying change to the file system. Once you install Big Sur into just another APFS volume, you will no longer be able to receive updates for Catalina because Catalina, the way the updates, the way the updates work in APFS is that you download the update. uh, The OS creates a entirely new volume to install that update onto and then it swaps it in so when you do a reboot it's actually swapping in the newly installed uh data volume uh system volume with the updated software uh in place of your old version uh and then it deletes the old version well because they're underlining changes to the uh to apfs and big sur catalina as of today no longer understands that new version is like oh i don't know what to do with that apfs volume so i can't do anything which means you don't get the update uh so if you're thinking of doing this one wait until whatever catalina update is coming out that could potentially solve this apple may decide it's not a thing they want to solve uh because you know you shouldn't be running betas or whatever 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 the reasoning behind it could be uh but as of right now it will Put you in a situation Catalina will still work. Uh, I'm assuming the same thing applies to Mojave, that it will still work. Uh, but you just won't be able to run system updates anymore because your current OS will not understand the new OS changes to the file system that come in Big Sur. So therefore, it cannot do what it normally does when you run a system update, which is create a volume, install the new OS and then swap that in after you reboot. So be mindful of that. Uh, and it's very difficult to get yourself out of that situation if you get there. So if you really need to do it, install it on an external drive 
or just wait and see if Apple decides to fix the problem. We appreciate the heads up, and uh, yeah, so... I'm just glad I'm lazy, dude, because I was like, well, I'm going to take a look <laughs> at Big Sur. I'll just install it on an APFS volume. I was like, yeah, but it's not as beta one. I don't really care that much. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not... Yeah. Really, what kept... It's not even laziness that kept me from doing it. What kept me from doing it personally, uh, because that would have been the path I would have taken because that has worked so well uh, since APFS became a thing. Like, I actually like it. Uh but what kept me from doing it is that my plan for the past couple of years with betas has been to install it on a new uh, APFS volume and restore using usually using uh, migration assistant, just restore mm-hmm. my home folder to the new. So at least I have all of my stuff so now I can actually use it because I don't really feel like I get much use out of a beta testing it and seeing what's new if I don't actually have, you know, things over there to use. Right. What kept me from going up this year is the same thing that kept me off of Catalina for a very long time, uh, which is I know that there's going to be stuff that's not going to work in the beta. So homebrew, for example, is not currently working or is not working functionally enough for me to use homebrew in Big Sur. So that means I can't install a bunch of my command line tools and uh, development tools for WordPress and all of that. Uh using homebrew so it's like well i can check email and i can browse the web and i can write documents and i might be able to record but you know <laughs> audio hijack is not certified to work over there yet loopback is not certified to work in big sur homebrew is not there so it's like half of my work i can't do right uh, so that's what actually kept me from going ahead and installing it because i was curious to see what the new changes uh would feel like from a voiceover user perspective uh, with some of the new changes, especially things with the notification center and the new widgets and all of that stuff and how to drag things onto and out of your, uh, what is that bar called? Your menu bar. Doc. Uh, not a menu bar. Uh, oh. Yeah, they're doing different things with the menu bar and Big Sur also. Uh, but that's actually what kept me away from it. It's like, well, shit, you know, I got websites i need to migrate or work on or update or add features to none of that shit's gonna work in big Sur, so that means i'm gonna have to boot back into catalina yeah i don't feel like dealing with that so demasi do you have any idea how to make apple's visual voicemail on ios transcribe your voicemails or is that based on the carrier i believe that is based on the carrier uh, okay, so I'll have to get a hold of Sprint and find out what they, T-Mobile, whatever they're being called this week, and find out what they are, uh, like if we need to do anything or if they have to push a device update. Because Mallory just texted me and said, do you know how to get Sprint to read my, or do you know how to get it to where I can read my voicemails? Because I have U-Mail, so I can read my voicemails on U-Mail if I don't go over my transcription limit because I'm not paying them for it. And she wants to read her voicemails because she's at work. So Visual voicemail, which is is actually quite nice uh it is it is i've gotten spoiled with umail and uh yeah and the only reason i'm using umail versus visual voicemail on android is because i'm on an mvno uh for my line and so or an mvno i, I think i said nvnmo anyways mer- mobile virtual network operator that runs off of at&t and uh, one of the disadvantages to using this provider is they don't offer visual voicemail or transcribed visual voicemail at all. So I said, okay, you want to play that game? I'll switch it over to Umail. <laughs> that does work. How does Umail say your name? Does it say it semi-properly? Uh, I don't think it says my you... name at all. Really? No, it just tells oh. me uh, Michael is currently unavailable. Please no, speak clearly weird. as your voicemail is being transcribed. So maybe I no, I have you in my contacts, but maybe I didn't upload my contacts to email with you included in them. Uh, but I can go in there and set up a custom greeting. Maybe I should do that. And be like, hey, Demasi, I'm not available right now. Leave me a message. And then that you, only you would hear that, which is pretty cool, too. I do like that feature. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about Google Voicemail, too, is you can set up. Uh, you can set it up for groups or for individuals. I forget exactly all of the steps, but that is a thing you can do, too, because I used to have a custom voicemail set up uh, for my grandmother when she would call. Because my mm. grandmother has never understood cell phone voicemail. 
Uh, <laughs> so she would always talk to it like she was on an answering machine. Uh, because she ah, an good old machine. answering machines. So yeah, so when people call her and she didn't answer the phone, she could hear them. And then if she decided, oh, I should go answer it, she would go pick up the phone. Well, she thinks that's what works. With, that's how cell phone voicemail works too. So sometimes she would call me and the first two minutes of this message would be, pick up. Pick up. <laughs> Are you there? If you dare, pick up. It's your grandma. <laughs> so I made a custom greeting for her saying, hey, grandma, I'm not here. So um, just leave me a message and I will call you back as soon as I get it. I cannot hear did, you. Did, did that catch her off guard or, at all? Or how did that go? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't. She never asked about it. So I assume yeah. she just, you know, assume. I, I don't know what she right. assumed. I'm not going to assume to assume <laughs> what she assumed. But she got the message. Yeah, but she stopped yelling at the phone as if I could hear her. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on with uh, apps? We, we, we should We should talk about a couple of apps that we're using. Uh, apparently this is a new segment that we have where we talk about an app. So, hey, this is a segment we tried to implement months ago, and then we never got around it, so I just started throwing them in Google Docs. <laughs> uh, so Mike has an app, and then I have an app. So Mike, tell me about this app. Is it Repeater Book? Yeah, Repeater Book. So those who don't know, uh, on the 6th of July, I finally got my technici- technician class amateur radio license. KJ7PAZ is my call sign. And I wanted to get familiar with local repeaters uh, that were in our area that I could use my new handheld VX6R uh, Yesus radio with. And I went on to uh, Google Play and I typed in the keyword, which was repeater, and uh, up popped the well-known repeater book app, which from my understanding is fully accessible on iOS and it's fully accessible on Android. Uh, What this app will do is if you give it your location or allow it to access your location while in the app in Android 11, uh, you can go through and see okay, there's a repeater 5.4 miles away from me. Double tap on that repeater, and it'll tell you what band it's on. It'll give you the output frequency that you need to listen to, the offset, and the input frequency that you need to set your radio to or make sure that your radio is automatically setting to. It'll also give you the PL code, which is the private line code, so you can be able to engage that repeater. And uh, it gives you some other details, such as the actual location of the repeater, Peter and the call sign of it and who manages it. Uh, it's it's a very simple app. It is very uh, targeted at a specific at a specific subset of people. So not everyone's going to need it. But if you're on Android and you're into the amateur radio hobby and you're curious if Repeater Book is accessible, I'm telling you it is fully accessible and all those details are readable. If you do want to get specific uh, information such as to spell out the call sign or to hear the uh, frequency in a more convenient way, you can switch your granularity to read by line and just go down line by line after you've double tapped on a specific repeater. So I will have a link to it in the show notes at youronpay.com forward slash DM51 uh, for those who are curious about the app and want to pick it up. Uh, Demasi, what the hell is Krypton? Haha. It is the planet that Superman is from. <laughs> <laughs> so I may have mentioned this app before just in general discussion, but I have been recently playing with it again because I put it on my uh, Pixel. Uh, it is a cross-platform app. One reason I picked this app is because it's cross-platform. So I think we should apply some uh, some rules to our app categories that as much as possible try to pick an app that is cross-platform. Uh because that seems to have kind of in some ways accidentally happened. Uh, and I think it makes it a little bit more unique. Uh, however, Krypton. Krypton serves the purpose of being a two-factor authentication application. What's interesting about it is that it can also be a uh, FIDO U2F key, which means it can be a security key uh, application working via Bluetooth. A couple of caveats uh, on this app. 
It uh, one, it doesn't work in Safari on iOS currently. I have not actually recently tested it, uh, but basically what it does. So it gives you the basic functionality of something like uh, Google Authenticator, uh, other authenticator apps where you can scan a QR code and it will generate the six digit numbers that you need to type in. Uh, it does work and is fully accessible on both iOS and Android. Uh, and that within itself is good enough. Now, it does not sync, however. So if you have data on iOS, it is not going to sync to your Android uh, device. I'll give you a couple of ideas on some workarounds to make that process a little easier, uh, which is a downside to it, I think, is that it doesn't sync. Although, to be fair, syncing of my secure tokens across somebody else's cloud doesn't necessarily make me all mm-hmm. that comfortable either. Uh you know, unless it's one password. Uh, but what I, the reason that I started using Krypton is because I was looking for a way to get into playing around with security keys. Uh, and so I found this app on iOS uh, called Krypton and it's spelled with a K, so K-R-Y-P-T-O-N. Uh, and as I said, the, the main thing that captured my attention about it was its ability to be a hardware uh, security token. So, when I first set up uh, hardware tokens on my Google account, for example, uh, I went to Google, went to my account, went to security, went to YouTube uh, two factor and selected security key and hit add security key. Uh, here's where we really get into the caveats about this application. At first, it only worked in Chrome or Chromium based browsers, So it would work in Chrome, uh, Microsoft Edge uh, and Brave. And the reason is because you have to have an extension installed. They do now have a extension that works in the current version of uh, Safari on the Mac OS. Uh, install the extension, the extension, and then you connect the uh, Krypton app on your device to uh, the computer uh, using the extension. So basically now Mac OS, uh, Google Chrome. Uh, shows up as one of the places that I have authenticated against. Now, when you go to a website, so for me, it was going to my Google account and uh, going to add security key. Uh, the extension captures the, I don't know under the hood how this works, but I'll tell you what did happen because uh, I felt like I was about to go down the road of explaining to you how it works and that's not really what I can do. Uh, but I can tell you what happens. So you click add security key. It pops up. You get a notification on your device uh, from Krypton that says, are you trying to add a security key uh, to your Google account on your Mac OS computer? It's like, yes, I am. And then it, you tap yes. And then now it has connected. Uh, and what I can say about the extension application relationship. So the extension pushes, you know, triggers the notification to pop up on your device that you're trying to log in or authenticate using uh, Krypton for whatever account you happen to be logging into Google, GitHub, Stripe are all the places that I have added this uh, Bluetooth hardware token because it's basically what it's pretending to be as a Bluetooth hardware token. And it works fairly well. Uh, I stopped using it for a while, one, because I did actually pick up a physical security key and two, uh, there was that issue with it not working in Safari on the Mac. Uh, it also does not work on mobile. So if I'm trying to sign into an app to a uh, service on iOS, uh, it does not work. It did work for me in Chrome on Android, however, uh, to pop up and allow me to authenticate. Uh, it does allow you to back up your token uh, information, uh, but you have to do a transfer from one device to another, which gets a little weird. Uh, I'll drop a link into the show notes at your slash DM 51 uh, with some explanations on on what your procedures or options are for kind of backing up things and transferring to a new device. Uh, but I did think it was an interesting application for anybody that is looking to maybe make their two-factor a little bit more secure or wants to get a feel for how, uh, you know, things like the YubiKeys and other uh, hardware uh, tokens work or hardware keys work uh, without actually having to go out and buy one. Uh, and the application is free and they were recently purchased by Akamai, uh, which is kind of strange, but they were recently purchased by Akamai. Uh, 
interesting application to take a look at. And as I mentioned, they do also offer the ability to just simply scan a QR code and add, you know, the second factor with the six digit numbers that you need to scan in. So cool application. Go check it out if you're interested in a security key. So that is all I really have right now. Next week, next episode, we can talk about Fire TV Cube. Uh, and then we'll do the follow-up with Michael's USB cable issues, rest or restoring backups, and some more content for DM52. Unless you have anything else, Demasi? No, that's all I got this week. Thanks for listening. He's on Twitter at your own. Nope. He's on Twitter at Payon. Uh, P-A-Y-O-W-N. And I'm on Twitter at Damasi. D-A-M-A-S-H-E. And both of us have actually been active on Twitter, too. So, yeah. Fun times. We're going to talk about that hook application You've been listening to Your Own Pay Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, visit yourownpay.com slash cast for exclusive content and to contact us today. We're eager to hear your thoughts and about how you're making this podcast your own. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. The Your Own Pay Podcast, yourownpay.com.